0: Well, welcome to today's episode of Juicing the Numbers, your post draft analysis podcast. I am your host Joshua Tracy,
1: and I'm Corey Miller. Every and, time I do that, where I like pause, I think about saying something funny as like a joke, and then I'm just like, that's not funny, and then just say <laughs> my actual name.
0: I know uh, I understand uh, that quite a bit. Yeah. that's me most times <laughs> throughout the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the the NFL draft was last week. Um, If I sound echoey, I uh, I spent the weekend trying to keep up with the draft and also moving. So I'm in an empty ass apartment, which feels very weird to be speaking this loud in because it is echoing. Um, Anyway, so we're going to just spend the day today. I know in the um, epilogue to to Thursday's episode, due to technical issues, I said that we would um, still watch movies this week. We just didn't have time, either of us, so we figured we would just spend time devoted to discussing what happened in the draft, since last Thursday we discussed what we thought might happen in the draft, and those two things were relatively disparate, plus there's always takeaways post-draft. So, with that being said, Corwin, you ready
1: to go? Yeah. Wait, before we start, should we pick movies to say at the end of the podcast?
0: Um, Do you want to switch to Thursdays then for the movies, or do you want to keep it on Monday? I really don't
1: care. Might as well just push it to Thursdays, because we're here you know all right
0: yeah sure i can do that so then uh, yeah watch out for thursdays and then we'll be movies for a while until sports reopens and then we'll be happy again (laughs) so um so let me start off by asking let's start off actually with one of the points that we made in the thursday episode just to to get some closure on that we both predicted that there would be a decent number of first round trades, especially in the top ten, mm-hmm. because of rumors, and I guess that's really it. But it seemed like a lot of almost near certainties that something was gonna happen. And then nothing.
1: Yeah, it was sad. Like how disappointed I was that nothing major really happens. I mean, there was a couple of trades to move back into the first round, which happens every single year. Um, but I mean, the biggest trade of the night was the Bucks moving up one pick. Um, and that's really all that happened until the 20s um, at the end of the draft when I was already getting tired and a little tipsy. And just at that point was like, eh, whatever. Um, yeah, and I, also, I, you know, since the Steelers didn't draft in the first round, by the end I was definitely paying much less attention than I usually do.
0: Yeah, it was like it was nice. It was easy to follow along with. Uh, it moved rather quickly. Uh, yeah. at least it felt that way. Um it seemed to go very smoothly.
1: Nobody fucked uh, anything with the up. Jets pick.
0: Yeah, and so that's actually one of the things I was going to ask you about. This feels like a really successful first round for like every team outside of Wisconsin. Um, sure. <laughs> and also there was like no trading and it really makes me wonder how bad GMs are. At their jobs because the draft with the, 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 this first round of the draft that had no trading and it also seemed to turn out rather successfully. Um, and I think you had made the point in the Thursday episode that, you know, we might see GMs not trade because they might just be hesitant to rely on technology that heavily. All in one go, which very well could have been the case for why we saw so few trades. That might have also led them to do like doing like you know better research to just make sure they were sure to get their guy at at in their spot in the first round. Um, yeah. Do you think there's any any ties there, or is it is that a, little, a bit of a stretch?
1: It. I don't think it's much of a stretch. I think that definitely could have been a part of it. Uh, looking back on how everything went down, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that as far as depth of players goes as you know usually there's a solid chunk of like 15 to 20 players in the first round that are you know head and shoulders above the rest you know when you get to the back end of the first round the the skill of players or you know the level of prospects tends to teeter off quite a bit and this year i felt like the draft was extremely extremely deep Um, there was a couple reaches by, you know, some teams, but a lot less than what we usually see. And even into the second round, there was a good, you know, 15 to 20 players taken that honestly were not that much far off, you know, uh, prospect level wise from guys taken in the first round. So I think the depth allowed GMs to look at this and say, Hey, we can trade up for a guy uh, and pay out a lot of capital to do so or we can just hold tight and get someone who's honestly that much worse off as a prospect so i think uh i think a lot of them uh really looked at this depth and just saw hey we'll be fine if we stay put
0: it's a fair point point. one final question before we start digging in a little bit more to the draft analysis who would Love you it. rather have austin jackson or minka fitzpatrick <laughs>
1: Uh, I would take Minka Fitzpatrick, even if you cut off both of his hands, over <laughs> Austin Jackson. Not okay. anything against you know Austin Jackson, just Minka is that good. I trust him to still be able to make tackles and make plays. Meanwhile, uh, a twenty-year-old tackle prospect that could easily turn out to be nothing uh, could be just that.
0: I, I I I'm glad to hear it, buddy. <laughs> All right. So, you know, as one, as
1: down as I am on the Steelers draft, and we'll talk about it later, I I can't help but you know force myself to remember that we literally took an All Pro safety in the first round, and we know he's going to be successful, and I can be be upset about that. I mean, that really is the way to think like, about it, you know. Yeah.
0: So. Speaking of not-so-great drafts, give me give me highs and lows of teams for this draft. Who do you think came out of this looking really good, and who do you think came out of this looking not great?
1: Um. So let's start with uh, the teams that did really bad, because those lists are much shorter. Uh, we'll start and in the AFC. Fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the AFC, uh, there were really only two teams that I saw that, had drafts that I genuinely just didn't like. Um, The first one was the Los Angeles Chargers, um, who had so much potential to do so many great things here. Um, First round, they took quarterback Justin Herbert. Uh, My stance on him is well known. Uh, They traded back up into the first round, 23 overall, to take uh, Oklahoma linebacker Kenneth Murray, who I was more uh, more high on. In the fourth, they took a running back, Joshua Kelly, wide receiver out of Virginia, Joe Reed. In the fifth, uh, Notre Dame safety, Aloha Gilman. And then in the seventh, uh, Ohio State wide receiver, KJ Hill. Uh, Probably my favorite pick out of all of these is KJ Hill in the seventh round, just because I think he's a guy that, you know, value wise is going to be able to, you know, I don't necessarily think he's going to be a starter for them is definitely someone that's going to be able to help on special teams is going to be able to catch a good number of balls uh, even as a rookie um and taking him 220 overall I think that's tremendous value for him um you know you got yourself a quarterback in Justin Herbert he's going to have time to sit behind uh Tyrod Taylor or, excuse me Tyrod Taylor um you know the pressure in uh, San Diego fucking Los Angeles excuse me Jesus uh, is going to be significantly lower than if you went to a, uh, someplace like the Dolphins. He has the skill position players around him. He has Mike Williams. He has Keenan Allen. He has Austin Eckler. He has a mediocre uh, to all right offensive line, and he can succeed there. Um, you know, ownership and for the Chargers isn't exactly great, but they have enough around him where. He should be able to take his time and hopefully succeed. But at the end of the day, Justin Herbert at sixth overall is just not something I view as a great pick. You know, if this was who they took at 23 overall, I thought this would be great Um because of his upside. Kenneth Murray, I'd like that they were able to fill out that defense, Um, you know, It's something that that was probably their biggest need defensively. He's a guy that will be super rangy for them, super just uber-athletic type of player, Um, will really complement what they have there nicely. But at the end of the day, you gave up a lot of capital to move up and take an off-ball linebacker that, um, you know, as much as I love the player, the value there isn't fantastic. You know, it's one thing to be at pick 23 and take him and then trading up uh, in, back into the first round to be able to grab him there, uh, especially having 90 picks in between this pick and your next one. And, you know, the three guys after that, I just, none of them stand out to me as guys who will make an impact to them or be significant depth pieces, you know? Um, so overall, not a great draft.
0: So, um. I know you had Tua on the on your mock draft for them. Obviously, he was taking the, the pick just prior by Miami at five. Who would you have rather them taken at six, if anybody?
1: Jedrick Wills, take the top offensive tackle on the board, be able to you know set up Terod Taylor and the rest of the team to succeed this year. And if it doesn't work out with him, there was other quarterbacks available either in free agency or by trade that they could have gotten. And at the end of the day, you know, punt quarterback until next year. I know they're a team that's trying to compete now, and that doesn't always work. But Justin Herbert's not a quarterback that can win you games now. He is definitely a project. Um, He's seemed to be a slow learner over his four years at Oregon. Uh, Just hasn't shown any jumps in progress over that time. So I don't think, uh, you know, jumping into uh, a program where he's not going to have time on the field before the season starts to really just dive into this playbook, really understand the ins and outs the way you would want your starting quarterback to do. I I just don't see this as... Well, the Chargers as a team is a good fit for him. I just don't see this scenario overall as as a spot where he can come and succeed early on.
0: If you are the um, Chargers GM... Which would you? Which 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 of these two situations would you prefer? The situation that they currently have, Justin mm-hmm. Herbert behind Terod Taylor, or um, the tackle whose name you mentioned? I already forgot. Um, and uh, Jameis Winston on a one on the one year deal that the Saints gave him.
1: Uh, I mean, I'd prefer the second one. If I could give a. A secret option three, I think taking that tackle prospect Jedrick Wills at six and then taking a guy like Jalen Hurts in the second round, um, you know, not trading up for Kenneth Murray or doing what you need to, to move back into the second round with the rest of your picks. If they had a three player class of Jedrick Wills, Kenneth Murray and Jalen Hurts, and then maybe keep that seventh round pick KJ Hill, I would be very, very happy with how that turned out.
0: See the thing is, I don't even think that the uh, option two and option three are mutually exclusive because they mm-hmm. very much so could have done option two, in which they they draft uh, Jedrick Wills and then sign um Jameis Winston, and then also just you know drafted uh, uh, Jalen Hurts in the second round anyway. Because yeah. the thing is, from from I think we're on the same page with this. The Chargers are basically in win now mode, mm-hmm. and they needed a gamble. And instead they took, I don't want to call Justin Herbert entirely a project because I don't know him as a player very well, but from the things that I have heard and seen, not like an NFL ready quarterback, the way that Tua likely could be. And Joe Burrow almost certainly is from what we've Mm -hmm. seen from their college experience. So if you're a win now team and you have no one to really helm the, the offense, because Terod Taylor is fine. I'm not trying to dig at him. I'm, but I don't yeah, think I'm he's a fan of
1: I think he could be fine.
0: Yeah, I think, I think he can certainly be acceptable, but I also think that you need to have a, a really strong second option if the Terod Taylor experience doesn't work out well for you, which mm-hmm. would be Jameis Winston, because he is certainly proven capable of at least making offense happen.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> honestly, with the defense that the Chargers have, miles the amount of turnovers he would create isn't exactly the detriment it would be for you know other teams no
0: and then if you give him a one-year deal if it works out super you can give him a longer term deal or let him go and then if it doesn't work out then all right mm-hmm. well you let jalen hurt sit for a year behind two good to to rather eh, i'll say good quarterbacks um, and then he gets to develop, and then you're just developing a quarterback as you normally would. This feels like the worst option what they went with, which isn't necessarily not going to work out for them, but it definitely just feels like there were better options available to them.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Even just trading back if they didn't want to pick at six, which is an option too, I guess. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's weird. This is a weird draft for them. Yep. Give me the give me, give me next team.
1: Uh so the only other AFC team that I thought had a uh, overall bad draft was my own Pittsburgh Steelers. Um you know, maybe it's just the fact that expectations going into the draft for your team is always astronomically high and significantly higher than you could ever truly expect. Um there's really only one pick here that I thought was Good value. Um, In the second round, they took wide receiver uh, Chase Claypool. Uh, Round three, they took edge rusher Alex Highsmith. Round four, they took running back Anthony McFarland and guard Kevin Dotson. Round six, they took Maryland safety Antoine Brooks. And then in round seven, they took a defensive tackle, Carlos Davis. Um, You'll also have to look at it and say, okay, our first round pick is, you know, mirroring, you know, one for one, Minka Fitzpatrick, which... By all means, that is significantly the biggest highlight here. Um, but I want to look at this just as the draft class, not as uh, a whole. That would definitely change that. Chase Claypool is, uh, you know, it's one of those things where when the Steelers draft a wide receiver, you take notice because they are so significantly better at doing that than any other team is at, doing pretty much anything else uh, i
0: very much so took notice of the fact they drafted a wide receiver in the first
1: round right you know like there's just some teams that when they take certain positions it's like oh that is significant because they know what they're doing the steelers with wide receivers are one of them uh this is a guy who's you know six four six six i can't remember off the top of my head runs in the four four uh for the 40 um has the size to play tight end. That was the big uh, you know, question for him coming into the draft was, is he going to stay at wide receiver? Is he going to move to tight end? The Steelers announced him as wide receiver and Andy Fickner, uh, the offensive coordinator has said that's where he's going to play. Um, it's one of those things where his ceiling is extremely high. Uh, it's just, you know, he's had drops issues. He's not exactly the most refined player. Um, is a great red zone threat, which the Steelers need. He's going to be pushing uh, James Washington on the outside for uh, playing time early on, and you know from what we've seen from James Washington, that might not necessarily be the most difficult task. So I don't, I don't really hate this pick. It's not what I would have done, although there were you know all the guys I wanted were taken before the Steelers pick. I will say that. So this is a solid sure for me Uh, Round three. I'd love that. They took Alex Highsmith, you know, a small school guy that the Steelers love a lot of potential Um, had 14 sacks last year, albeit against, you know, a lesser level of competition than most of these other guys. And then after that, I just, I really don't care for any of these picks. Um, You know, we took a running back that has some character concerns um that is really close with our new quarterback coach is fast but we have a guy like him on the roster already he really doesn't push anything uh you know push the needle for making the team better um the guard we took is fine you know he's not going to start for us this year but it he's a fine uh, developmental piece and then you know we took a defensive tackle that's likely going to be third or fourth string or you know if he even makes the team and then a safety that will be at the his ceiling will be a special teams player for us. So while you know this isn't the worst draft I've ever seen none of these players really inspire me. Um you know there's maybe one starter here which you know despite the sealers having a very good roster that's not something you expect out of you know a draft uh, especially with two essentially top 100 picks. Um, so just overall, I just I don't care for any of this. I, and honestly, it's I'll be honest, be of... I may be biased because this is my team and I wanted more from them. But at the end of the day, I, this just is one of those drafts that just it leaves not a bad taste in my mouth, but it's just like, meh. Just total meh. No, well, I get it. I get it. Uh, Anything else uh, from the AFC? As far as bad teams go, uh, there's two teams that I don't want to say they're good, I don't want to say they're bad. Um and I want to say that because the players they took were really good, but the players they traded away to get these picks are better. So if you look at the Jaguars, you know, they got CJ Henderson and on Chase on in the first round. They got a super high upside Lavisca Chenault in the second round, um, and just in rounds three, four, and five, they got a bunch of guys that can really push to be starters and good pieces for them in a you know over the next couple of years. But they traded away Jalen Ramsey, AJ Boye, Calais Campbell, Nick Foles to get there, and now they're currently trying to trade away Yannick Ngakwe and Leonard Fournette. So, yes, these pieces that they've acquired in this draft alone are very good. They've traded away all their most talented players. They're currently trying to trade away the most talented players they have now. And they've completely destroyed what had turned into a winning franchise, a winning mindset by going to the AFC Championship game. And now they're back to where they were with, you know, they are a losing team because there's no one there to lead them. And I'm sure there are going to be plenty of Jags fans that look at this draft and say they're on the right steps, you know, on the right track to be a successful team. And, you know, they look at what the Dolphins have done and the Sixers have done where tanking can get you to the championship and whatever that may be, even though the Dolphins haven't done it and the Sixers haven't done it yet. Um, I just I don't like the way they got there and what they had to do to get these picks. So mixed bag all the way. Yeah, I was going to make the argument at some point
0: that I think you can almost universally say that every team, even to a microscopic level, improves post-draft. But it's Mm -hmm. tough to say that about the Jaguars, because they did get better, but what they lost is significant. I was trying to make it so that it wasn't like things you gave up, but when you're giving stuff up for draft capital, it's pretty Mm one-to-one. So...
1: Yeah, sorry, Jags. Yeah, and just we mentioned the Dolphins earlier. They're the other team I have in this category, which I don't know if I mentioned, but uh, I named this section uh, good, but destroyed the team to get there, uh, which is exactly what they did. The Dolphins, they took a lot of good players. You know, Tua Tungavailoa at five overall. Phenomenal pick. Uh, You know, it's something I have been very verbal about. You know, Tua's a spectacular quarterback prospect. Uh, He should be the guy that they, you know, take and focus on all along, and that's what they did. Uh, Noah Igbenogahee, that'll be the only time I attempt that name. Uh, Robert Hunt, Raekwon Davis, all really good players that they took in the first two rounds. Uh, And then there's Austin Jackson at 18, which in my mind was a bit of a reach, uh, just because he's a very raw player, but again, only 20 years old. But then again, they traded away Mika Fitzpatrick to get that pick. so. It's just one of those things. Um,
0: yeah. No, I was talking then, to my I was talking to my dad about it because like we were talking you know just about teams in the division and uh, we got to the Dolphins and it was like yeah like they had a what seems like a good draft but that team is still crap like
1: it, they it's have so many holes.
0: I know. Like they 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 could they could have a ten round draft and not even scratch the surface of what they have to do to that team because even if Tua balls out, I mean. That defense is still shit. Yeah,
1: they have the no tackles to protect them.
0: Yep, their wide receivers
1: have. are not great.
0: Nope, their running back situation isn't exactly sterling. They I have, actually
1: just found this out today. I didn't realize they traded for Matt Breda over the offseason. They traded a fifth round pick for him.
0: Oh, and they signed you know Jordan I Howard. I um,
1: actually you
0: know what? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know the Jordan Howard one.
1: Yeah combined i think that's a pretty solid backfield i was ready to actually, kind of tear yeah. into them for not having any players surrounding tua to you know prop him up and help him succeed but i will say their backfield is fairly nice i'll give them that.
0: although i will say as a as a person who experienced uh, new york jets football in 2019 having a shit o-line of a, a growing quarterback and a good running back does not actually help
1: yeah, no, I know what you mean. Um it's you know, they've invested a decent amount into uh offensive line. You know, they've a first round pick, a second round pick, uh and a fifth round pick all into the offensive line. That's good, not exactly great. They spent another first round pick on cornerback, which I thought, you know, after signing uh, Byron Jones and having uh, Xavier Howard there, the two highest-paid quarterbacks in the NFL, I think it was very odd that they would take another cornerback there, especially with uh, Josh Jones at tackle still on the board. Um, I don't know. Um, that's kind of why I have them in this middle, just purgatory tier, just because. They had good picks. I just don't exactly agree with all of their draft uh, process and uh, their mindset here. And I just don't love some of the trades they did with their draft picks uh, before coming into this. So I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's good, not great. I just don't know how to truly feel about this yet. And Understandable. Again, this is something I kind of want to uh, say, you know, I should have said this leading into this, uh, but I'll say it now. Just because we view these prospects as not good value doesn't mean they're going to end up this way in the NFL. You cannot judge a player until at least three years down the line. Uh, That's why I don't want to necessarily give these teams grades because I think that's one of uh, the more useless and just uh, unnecessary – things that we do as you know nfl fans directly after the draft because we don't know how any of these players are going to turn out drafts bust all the time diamonds are found in the rough you know i always look back at the seahawks draft from i want to say 2011 2013 whatever it may be whenever they drafted russell wilson and bruce Irvin, uh they were given an f grade and everyone was saying what the fuck are you doing taking a guy that can't play quarterback in the NFL. He's too short. Doesn't fit the Eagles, and you know uh, a linebacker that doesn't fit what the Seahawks are trying to do in any way. They go on to win multiple Super Bowls, and both of those guys are consensus Pro Bowlers every year. So take what we're saying with a literal grain of salt.
0: Ma- a massive one, and uh, yeah. just as a reminder to everyone uh, about people speculating on the goodness of players who were just drafted, uh, someone out there talks shit about someone drafting Mike Trout.
1: Yeah, exactly. Someone
0: out there talks shit about the Angels drafting Mike Trout. I don't know who... I don't know what they said. I don't know where they said it. But you know someone gave the Angels shit for drafting Mike Trout.
1: Mm-hmm. Turned out pretty um, well for the Angels. Gotta shit. say. No fucking kidding. Um... All right, so let's move talk on to the, the, the bad NFC. Teams. Yeah, let's talk about bad teams in the NFC. Uh, all around, I don't think this – you know what? No. The Chicago Bears, Um, they had one <laughs> pick that I fucking loved with Jalen Johnson at pick 50, uh, has had three shoulder, shoulder surgeries now, say that three times fast, Um, which is why he fell out of the first round. I still think when healthy, he's going to be a tremendous cornerback for them outside of this, uh, they only had one pick before 155. Uh, they had three fifth-round picks and two seventh-round picks, along with their two second-rounders. And, of course, a team that had 10 tight ends on their roster coming into this draft took a tight end with their first pick.
0: Wait, they had 10?
1: It's like 9 or 10. I don't know if it's 9 uh, They had nine more or than
0: 5?
1: <laughs> they had a ridiculous ridiculous amount like it was an unbelievable joke how many tight ends they had coming into this and they took one with their first pick and it's not like this is a tj hawkinson noah fan you know oj howard type tight end that is a fantastic prospect can do a little bit of everything you know will be a great player this kid cole come out of tight end or out of notre dame uh, I had him barely, you know, as a second-round player at all. Um, I did not think he was going to get taken before the 10th wide receiver. Um, I just – this was a truly awful tight end class, and they took him with the 43rd overall pick. Um, I just cannot see how this works out for the Bears. Um I think Ryan Pace and uh, what's the coach's name Matt Nagy are very much on their way out. Um we will mention now that uh, they did decline to pick up Mitchell Trubisky's fifth year option. I believe Which that is a just big came deal out.
0: One. Yeah. Yeah,
1: that's that's huge for the number 3 or number 2 overall pick, excuse me. Uh, just a couple years ago. Man, it is rough right now to be a Bears fan, uh, and this is just there weren't really any other. I don't want to go through the rest of the picks, just so it will take too long. But there's no one here that inspires me really in any capacity. Part of that is because all of them are in the last 100 picks, but still, that's it's fucking rough right now for them.
0: Uh, I have I have two things to say. Mm-hmm. One is I know what the Bears' strategy was with their draft. Which was. Uh, pick the player available with the funnest name because all of these names are amazing. <laughs> yeah. Cole Komet, Jalen Johnson, Travis Gibson, Kindle Vildor, <laughs> Darnell Mooney, Arlington Hambright, and Lachavia Simmons. That is a flawless name draft.
1: <laughs> oh man, I like I would put Every dollar I make in my next paycheck to be able to be in their war room in Ryan Pace's basement to watch him get pissed drunk and just draft the guys whose names make him laugh as he's scrolling through his Google sheet.
0: Oh, you know for a fact those that... round seven picks, which were apparently back to back, two twenty six and two twenty seven, he just picked the two dudes with the most hilarious names.
1: Oh god. Um that's why I'm and Latavius Simmons
0: back to back.
1: It's true <laughs> like... for fantasy. It should definitely be true for this. Like, Absolutely. yeah, like th- these are just, these are made, like, these are computer generated names from Madden or like a Japanese football game where, like, they don't actually understand how naming works in the US. It, oh, God, fantastic.
0: So, my, my, th- the second thing I was going to say is who, so, you know, Carson Wentz and Mitchell Trubisky were drafted this, the same draft, one pick after each other. Um, mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky's career has been not stellar, but not awful. Carson Wentz has been very good when he's been on the field, but that hasn't always been the case. Mm -hmm. So who do you think's had the better career
1: thus far? Carson Wentz by a country mile. A country mile. Carson Wentz, when healthy, has played at an MVP level. He was an MVP frontrunner when he got hurt when the... During the season, they won the Super Bowl. Mitchell Trubisky has never once had like a three or four game stretch where he's looked like a franchise quarterback. And while his numbers have never been truly awful, he's never really shown any advancement off of what he came in as. And... He really has never – he's never done it for me. I, I loved him coming into the draft. He was my number one, number two quarterback the year he was drafted. But he has not improved in any meaningful way. And he's never really shown he's been able to get it done. Carson Wentz is very injury prone, and their team has already drafted essentially his replacement. But he is so, so far ahead of Mitchell Trubisky.
0: And what's shocking is that Carson Wentz has actually played more games than Mitchell Trubisky. And I forgot that because Mitchell Trubisky didn't play in 2017. um, And when he did, he only played 12 games and then 2018, he played 14, 2019, he played 15. So he's never actually played a complete season. Whereas Carson Wentz played all of 2016 and played all of 2019. And then only missed three games in 2017 and missed the final five regular season games of 2018. So, Carson Wentz has actually played two full seasons, whereas Mitch Trubisky hasn't played a single one. Yeah, that's... Which is a cr- crazy sentence. Yeah, that's... Also, according and- to the... Um, so, 56 games for um, Wentz, 41 for Trubisky. According to Pro Football Reference's approximate value, which is their catch-all stat for football players, Mitch Trubisky as sitting at 28 approximate value points. Carson Wentz, 45 That's bad. Yeah, that's That's like almost... It's over 50% more than than Carson Wentz. They traded up to draft him. Yeah.
1: Well, actually, both those teams did, but...
0: (laughs) Only paid off for one of them.
1: Yeah, but uh, only one of them was drafted before Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. What? Mitchell Trubisky was drafted uh, in front of Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson.
0: So was Carson Wentz, though,
1: wasn't he? I thought they were two and three. No, it was a different year. Those were different years? Yeah.
0: Oh, you know what? I'm thinking of Goff and uh, Golf Trubisky. and Wentz.
1: Goff and Golf Wentz. Goff and, and Wentz were 1 and 2 the year they got drafted. Uh, no, you're right. That like That's a what I'm year thinking before, And then it was, it was Trubisky, Mahomes at 10, Watson at 12. Um, and then I. I guess the year after that was the Baker, Darnold, Allen, Rosen.
0: Yeah, well no, I completely whiffed on that uh, on that draft in my mind. It happens. It yeah, Trubisky was taken second. I was the Miles Garrett draft. Yeah. The next quarterback taken was number ten, Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah. Man, the Bears.
0: Anyway, tell me more about the Bears. Or is there anything uh, else anything else to say?
1: Uh no, they, they suck. That's all I gotta say. <clears throat> Um yeah,
0: they got zero percent better.
1: (laughs) Uh next up for teams that did not do good in the draft in the NFC. Uh the Green Bay Packers, man. I just I genuinely was this draft. I I just don't know what their what was their plan process. Yeah, what were they trying to accomplish here? Um I was totally, you know, every time we talked about the Packers pick, it was get weapons around Aaron Rodgers. Um, they got a number three running back for them. Their third pick was for a tight end slash fullback. Uh, they got and that's three it. offensive lineman in the sixth round. And then their first pick was trading up to get his replacement uh, in Jordan Love, who, I'm not even that crazy about it as a prospect. Uh, I think this is another Deshaun Kaiser situation, where you look at this guy and he can make a lot of really good throws and throw the ball downfield, but he throws so many interceptions. Um, and I just I he could honestly have the highest ceiling out of any of these guys if absolutely everything works out. But, man, cutting down on interceptions that significantly is incredibly hard Uh, and is probably the hardest thing to change about a prospect when they're going into the NFL because you can't really improve accuracy uh, unless your mechanics are absolutely horrible to begin with. Um, And, man, decision-making is... Decision making under pressure is not something that's overtly teachable. It's really a flight or fight response. And I don't know. I am not super high on Jordan Love. And the fact that they have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback and have a team that went to the NFC championship game last year. And instead of building on that, they're getting ready to replace him is just crazy to me. I just. I don't know what they accomplished here. I really don't. This, like, if a team comes in and drafts to fill major needs, okay. If a team comes in and says, we're going to take the best players available, okay. If they come in and try to do a mix of the two, okay. All of those things are both totally acceptable, have worked in the past, and very easy to sell to your fan base what the packers did here was none of those three none of these players in the top you know 3 rounds were the best at their position or at the best available at the time all of them were reaches none of them filled any holes that they had and i just don't know how you could sell this as something that makes the team better yeah I've... this
0: um this draft feels like either one of two things. It feels like um, every player that the Packers wanted was drafted right before their pick, and then they forgot to find out who else they wanted, and then just panic picked a name. Um, um,
1: while you talk about this, I'm going to look up the actual draft and see who was available at these picks. <laughs> All right. Um, the other thing it feels like
0: is, uh, is 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 like they went on auto draft. And you know, I think everyone's missed like either a few rounds or a whole draft before. And your team has like two defenses, and 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 like three quarterbacks, and only like like you know two two wide receivers, and that's not enough wide receivers for a fantasy Mm -hmm. football team. And then you look at this team and you go, "What the what the fuck happened here?" And that that that's this fucking draft. Like this is this is stupid. I mean. Oh my God. Trading up for a court for Jordan. Uh, just, I mean, I get, I get Aaron Rodgers is old for quarterbacks and at some, or for football players. And at some point he's going to need to be replaced. Do it when it seems, when it seems present, milk that cow as long as you can. Like they're planning for a demise. That's not showing its head at all. And I get that sometimes that shit can come out of nowhere, but are you really planning for that? I just, I just don't understand the concept of planning. For something that isn't on the horizon, Mm -hmm. given a Hall of Fame. And again, like I said, I know these things can come out of nowhere, but you shouldn't plan for that. Because if that was the case, people would just draft quarterbacks every single year in the first round, anticipating their quarterback getting hurt or dying. Like you can't just build a team like that. You have to go with actual needs. And while I get you want to have a project quarterback or you want to have a guy to develop in the wings. That's not the immediate concern. And if it is, you can solve that shit later. I, yeah, I just, I mean, if I was a Packers fan, I'd be fucking furious. Yeah.
1: You know, I, outside of the Steelers, who their draft upset me because I'm deranged and that's just the way I am. And of course, it's going to upset me. This is the only other draft that actually makes me upset to look at because they could have made this team a. Not only a contending team, which they still are, but a front runner in the NFC. The NFC isn't exactly crazy top heavy. I mean, they're competing with the 49ers and the Cowboys. Those aren't exactly world beaters. Um, you know, I mean, you have the Ravens, you have the Chiefs in the AFC who look like they can beat any team on any given Sunday. Uh, well, That's true for any team. It's like they look like they would beat every team any given Sunday. The NFC isn't exactly that top heavy, and they just had to take a handful of guys that would have put them over the edge. Like if they want a running back, you traded up in the first round to pick 26. Every single running back was there. I can't say I would agree with the move outright, but you could have gotten a serious difference maker at running back. Or one of the many
0: wide receivers still available. Right. There were
1: so many good wide receivers available at 26. Any single one of them would have been an easy number two opposite of uh, Devontae Adams. Adams. (laughs) Their wide receiver depth isn't good. You know, it's not something... I know this has been talked about with the Packers ad nauseum now about, you know, their wide receivers are not good. And they're not. But you could have gotten a guy that would make a serious difference for that team. You know, a guy like Michael Pittman could come in and be a pro bowler year one with Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball 60, 70 times this season. Easy. No one hears. I don't see any one of these players as a pro bowler at any point in their career. Maybe Jordan Love, if it all works out, I get that they did the same thing with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and Aaron older than Favre was. But this is a different situation that they're in. And I just... They didn't move the needle in any way.
0: Yeah, no, this is uh, fucking embarrassing.
1: Fucking embarrassing. (laughs) I wish I had a trash can to kick. You should.
0: Go find one. I'll wait. (laughs) Uh,
1: No, I don't want to get up. Uh, Next up is the Rams... I don't have a, a ton to say about this. Um, just that they have so many needs.
0: Like a new and, logo.
1: Right. And they traded away both Todd Gurley and Brandon Cooks and then drafted a running back and a wide receiver in the second round, five picks apart. They just, they have a lot of needs. Uh, don't get me wrong. They are no longer contender. Um, They have one of the worst cap situations in the league. And with your first pick, you take a running back that fits the mold of the running back you took in the second round last year. And then you took a mold of your current best wide receiver five picks after that. So they have two almost carbon copy running backs and two carbon copy wide receivers in the second round i just it's it's not good drafting the players may turn out to be all pro cam Akers and van jefferson the two players they took here respectively could end up being all pro level players and i would still say this was a dumb way to draft for this team it just sorry go ahead no i'm done
0: They're in such a weird spot because, like you said, this team is rapidly declining in competitive capability. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though, as you said, the NFC isn't exactly um, tough to get to the top of outside of a couple of teams like the Niners and the Seahawks refusing to go away and then the Saints over on the East Coast. Like, There's nothing really preventing them from being able to, to contend, especially if the Packers end up declining even a little bit. Um but Goff is really showing his true colors year after year getting worse and worse, and their team having to shed pieces because they overpromised or overcommitted on payroll and they don't have much draft capital to work with anymore because they had to acquire all those guys. And maybe they're thinking, you know, one last big push with some of these picks and maybe they just don't know what to do. And if that's the answer, I get it. I wouldn't know what the fuck to do either
1: mm-hmm.
0: because their situation is they made such a fucking gamble by going as all in. I've never seen a team go as all in as the, as the Rams did the, the, these past three years. It was insane. And mm-hmm. in all, but one way it paid off, but unfortunately it didn't pay off in the one way that actually mattered winning the Super Bowl. So if Sean McVay can pull some magic and let himself not get fired, then maybe we can see what he's rebuild would look like, what kind of scheming he brings to that. Maybe this is all part of a plan he has getting ready to be drafted up for next season. But if that's not the case, then they should be looking long-term and drafting a kicker, oh, I guess seventh round doesn't matter. But I don't know, this, this, this just looks... This looks like they drafted cuz they had to.
1: Yeah. It it's just uh it does not inspire confidence in the Rams. But no. man, how how far has the just perception and reputation of Sean McVay fallen over the past 2 years? Rapidly. Like, he went from basically being the smartest person in the NFL to damn, we are just He's just not that great anymore. And I'm not saying that because I think he's not that great. I still think he's a terrific coach. Um, just kind of a non sequitur. He's basically one of the smartest people in the NFL with this amazing memory and knowledge of an offense, but without any ability to make real-time adjustments for what is changing around him. And I think that has seriously hurt His team because he doesn't have a quarterback that knows what he's looking at and needs to be talked through every play as they're calling it. Uh, And the fact that all of these free agent signings have pretty much failed, so that there's no room for them to make these adjustments team wise uh, to really do anything to keep up. And am I not secretary?
0: I would say that this next year or two, if he has it, is going to be very fascinating for people watching Sean McVay, because I could see a world in which you make the argument that Sean McVay is going to be more of a plug and play guy a la Belichick. But the GMs went with um, marquee name players that didn't necessarily fit schemes, which, uh, you know, you'd have to talk me into it. I, I could I could buy that. Uh, conflicts of interest happen all the time between uh, what coaches want to do with their style of play versus what GMs want to do with how they construct a roster. That happens in like every single sport. Um, if, if that's the case, though, then I think we have to at this point say that that experiment is over and that now it's in Sean McVay's hands to see if he can scheme. And if he can play uh, with, or if he can have his players play a certain style of football, that's going to be conducive towards the strengths of those players and the weaknesses of their opponents, the way that the Patriots do. And I know that's such an easy thing to say, because you know, well, I just do what the Patriots do. No team's been able to do it for the last twenty years. That's why they're so successful. But that that kind of rationale, that kind of that kind of thinking, is what's going to have to be brought to the table by McVeigh if he's going to stay a head coach in Los Angeles, because that right now is all he has.
1: Yeah. Uh, I am honestly very intrigued to see if this continues to falter in Los Angeles, if he is kind of, well, essentially fired, and we get to see him start fresh somewhere else.
0: Yeah, that would be very interesting.
1: Um, Where would he go? I don't know. I have absolutely no idea. Oh, the Jets. I I just got the Jets. The first thing that came to mind is Bill Belichick retiring, and he goes to the Patriots. No, fuck that. Fuck
0: that. Please, God, fuck that. (laughs) Get Adam Gase out of my team. I hate it. I hate this ride. This is the worst ride. There's a screaming kid.
1: (laughs) And you are the screaming kid, just desperately trying to get off.
0: (laughs) It's me! (laughs) <laughs> oh man!
1: At least there's many signs pointing to the Adam Gase train coming to a screaming halt soon enough. Yeah, maybe in a year.
0: Fingers crossed, man. But we'll see.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: All right. Um, any other any other bad uh, bad performances by teams, or shall we talk about the good?
1: Uh, there's two more that I will say very quickly. Uh, yeah, the go for Philadelphia it. Philadelphia Eagles. Um in the first and second rounds with two of the more interesting picks. Uh, They took TCU wide receiver Jalen Rager in the first round, Um, a speedy guy that is very hurt and just has major issues dropping the ball. I think this is Nelson Aguilar 2.0 and then drafting Jalen Hurts. I mean, we can't not talk about that Uh, taking, you know, a top, a top three quarterback for me um, or eh, top four quarterback <laughs> while they have Carson Wentz, you know, in the second round where they could have gotten uh, some marquee players. I just don't, I get why F- Philadelphia fans are upset. Uh, I kind of get why they took this pick. Um, you know, Carson Wentz is made of glass They had to win a Super Bowl on the back of their backup before. A team is only as good as their backup quarterback. Um, But, man, this is going to be a fucking media circus, and I am so happy to be a part of it Um, because I don't dislike the pick. Uh, I think, you know, when you could get a guy like that at 53, you'd take it. Um, But it's going to be fucking hilarious to watch. Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, I saw a a a congratulatory tweet from Carson Wentz to Jalen Hurts in which Jalen Hurts then uh, quote tweeted it saying, I'm coming to take your job. <laughs> it was fucking cold blooded. Did he really do that? Yeah, that's what I saw.
1: Oh uh, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna look this up on uh, on Twitter.
0: It was pretty great. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Uh uh, yeah, this it's a weird situation. Like, look, I get it. Carson Wentz, as we like just talked about, is very good at football, and he's been doing a bang up job while he's actually been on the field. But he's been having those issues, and you can't keep signing um either expensive backups or taking chance on weak backups when you have a dude who keeps getting hurt. So <laughs> I get it. Uh, you got to do what you got to do.
1: You know, um, mentally, I don't think there was any quarterback in this draft that was on the level of Jalen hurts. Uh, I saw some stuff leading up to draft day, the day of the first round. And they were, you know, asking him, Hey, like, what are you up to, to get yourself ready? You know, you might see your name called at the end of the first round. You know, are you prepared? He's like, Hey man, I'm just trying to get reps in work on, you know, throwing this and that. And it's like, if you got yourself a quarterback that's literally practicing the day he might get drafted, I am all, I want every part of that. That is the kind of guy that is only going to continue to get better, which he has every single year he's played Um and is going to fight and drag you to a championship. So he was a guy I kind of wanted the Steelers to take, you know, with their first pick. And uh, I'm upset that the Eagles got him uh, and all the best of them. Um I also want to say the Steelers, or sorry, the Eagles probably got one of my favorite picks in the fourth round, which, you know, we're talking about the Eagles having a bad draft. It's really more of a, an interesting one that we just needed to talk about. Kayvon Wallace, safety out of Clemson, uh, super athletic tweener, kind of like uh, an Isaiah Simmons light. Isaiah Simmons going uh, eight overall to the Cardinals. Um, I just. He's one of my dudes, you know, coming into this draft. And uh, I'm upset that he went right after the Steelers pick. So good on the Eagles for snagging him. Uh, Dope. I have nothing else to say on the Eagles. Okay. And then to close out the NFC with the bad teams, uh, the 49ers, I just want to talk about their first round because they only had three picks after it. Uh, All, you know, a five, six, and a seventh pick. So – They traded away DeForest Buckner, an all-pro defensive tackle, for the 13th overall pick, which, sure, he was very expensive. You're getting a a premier pick. Uh, It is what it is. Um, And then you take a guy whose NFL comp is DeForest Buckner with that pick. I just – I get the argument – you're getting essentially the same player for cheaper, significantly cheaper. And there's no getting around that. That's hundred percent true. But the thing is when you give up something for a mystery box and the thing in the mystery box could be anything, but the best it could be is the thing you're giving up. That doesn't make much sense to me. That has always been one of those jokes that makes me laugh because it's fucking crazy to me. Um, And I just, it's crazy that they could have gone so many other places with this pick and, uh, and landed here. And it's not a terrible pick because he can be such a good player, but I just, uh, it drives me nuts. It's just one of those uh, pet peeves things. It just grinds my gears. And well, I get it. This, this, this feels
0: like they're um, trying to time the market in in like a stock sense they're trying to buy low and sell high you know um which if you've ever looked into investing in stocks the one thing they tell you to do is not try to time the market because you're a big fucking idiot (laughs) like no one can do it that's that's how people lose a lot of money um and hey maybe it'll work out for them just like maybe one idiot actually managed to time the stock market probably by accident but for 99 percent of people it ain't gonna fucking work out for you everyone thinks they're warren buffett when in reality you're that dude from the movie wall street who got like fucking put in jail so you know (laughs) maybe just don't try
1: yeah exactly um so I guess uh do you have anything else you want to say on uh on the 49ers? Not I would really. talk about no. Iota, but at the end of the day I, there's not enough bad with that pick to really go into it.
0: Nah, no, nah, I'm good. They they were a good team. They didn't really like need this draft to like make or break their season, so whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Um you want to talk about some goods? Tell me about some goods. All right. Uh in the NFC, I guess we'll start with the Saints because That's where I am. Uh, I tweeted this out during the draft, and I completely stand behind it. But Sean Payton is probably the best in the NFL at maximizing his draft capital. And I mean, you know, trading up to get players that he knows is going to be good, you know, guys he truly believes in, you know, not wasting picks, moving back when he needs to. They had four picks in this entire draft. Uh, they had a first round, two third round picks, and a seventh round pick, and all three of these guys I think are going to be uh, impact players for them. Uh, they got Michigan center Cesar Ruiz, who honestly might not even start for them along that offensive line this year because of how stacked it is. Um, he's essentially like an Andres Pete type player, where you know Andres Pete just signed a, a decent sized extension. But he is uh, so good at either guard or center positions that he could fill in anywhere and be a high-level player. Uh, at you know, the offensive line, we talk about this all the time. Huge foundational piece, fantastic player. Uh, I think it's a nice pick for them. Traded up in the third round to get a edge rusher Zach Bond, who could play you know five different positions along the defensive line and you know amongst the linebackers. Love that pick. He could start anywhere for them. They got a uh, tight end Adam Troutman in the third round pick 105. He's the kind of guy who is a top three tight end in this class. You know, 105 might not be the most uh, valuable pick uh, to grab one of these tight ends, but I have no complaints about doing it, especially the way Adam or sorry, Sean Payton utilizes highly athletic tight ends like Adam Troutman. Uh, I think this is a natural fit and could be a day one starter for them. And then they traded up in the seventh round to get Mississippi State quarterback Tommy Stevens. Um, I have seen every game of his career leading up to this past season because he was the lion and backup quarterback for this, uh, the Nittany Lions, Penn State. Um I always called him our fullback because we didn't have an actual fullback on the roster, but the way we would utilize him is the exact way the saints utilize Taysom Hill, who they just signed to a two year extension. Um, I think he is a seventh round pick that will genuinely make their roster. If not their practice squad. Um, And, you know, with the type of contract Taysom Hill just signed where, it's a lot of money front-loaded to really only be a one-year deal. Um, if Tommy Stevens works out, it's the, something where it's clearly a position they value very, very highly. Especially after putting a fir- one, uh, excuse me, a first-round tender on um, Taysom Hill this year, I think you could step in and fill that role easily next year. Um, so they have four picks. That is astronomically low. But I think all four of them are impact players, and at the end of the day, how can you say that's a bad draft? That is excellent, especially considering um, how few holes they had. Uh, The only change I would have made was, you know, instead of Cesar Ruiz, who's more of a depth position, take a guy like uh, Patrick Queen there, uh, fill in really the only hole we, you know, either of us saw on their roster at middle linebacker, but. At the end of the day, I can't complain about any of these picks.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, you. I. I damn it. You. Have, I have nothing to say. What the fuck am I supposed to say? I
1: don't know. Jerk <laughs> me off a little bit.
0: Oh yeah, daddy.
1: Nice. Okay, let's sick, stop. I immediately sick. regret that. Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> all right, I'm. I'm. All right. That's it. <laughs> oh god, that made me uberly uncomfortable. <laughs> oh man all right uh there's a lot of teams here that i thought did really well so i think we just need to bust through them all yeah give me a speed Uh, round arizona cardinals uh i love all of these picks isaiah simmons um honestly one of my favorite players a top three player in this draft for me um can do anything on the defense i think he's going to be a genuine game breaker in the NFL, uh, and he's going to completely change the position of linebacker the way Aaron Donald did it with defensive tackle. They grabbed a top left tackle in Josh Jones in the third round. Uh, They didn't have a second round pick. Every single one of their picks I uh, like as players. I don't think they went wrong anywhere. I think this is a tremendous uh, class for them. Um, the Carolina Panthers, their first three rounds, or I'm sorry, the first two rounds, they got Derek Brown, Nitor Grossmatos, and Jeremy Chin. All three of them I thought could have gone in the first round. And I'd love that they are completely building that defense from the ground up and making, getting serious game changers, uh, at multiple, multiple positions there. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that. Um, Let's see, the Dallas Cowboys. I'm actually going to skip them and save them for last because there's the one team I want to dig deep into. Uh, The Detroit Lions. I like really two or three of these picks. Jeff Okuda at number three is a game changer for them. Could easily be an all-pro within the next two or three seasons. Julian Aquara, edge rusher at 67, I think was uh, under-talked about this entire draft process and could be a starter for them day one. And then Quentin Cephas at wide receiver. Uh, in the fifth round, could easily be a, a starting wide receiver for them. Um, let me see the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, their first three picks are three of the be- or two of the wow are three of the best top two round picks that you could go with. Justin Jefferson, the top slot receiver and the number four wide receiver in the class, falls to them at twenty two. Jeff Gladney, uh, who many have said was the number three cornerback in the class, fell to them at 31. Both of them are amazing fits for the systems. They run it on offense and defense, and I just have to imagine that they were shitting themselves with glee with how that uh, landed. Ezra Cleveland uh, fills probably their biggest need uh, at offensive guard or tackle um, and could slide in. I said it was their biggest need. I want to just rephrase that. That used to be their biggest need. Receiver and cornerback were their biggest need. This was the biggest need they had left, and they filled it with a great player with a lot of potential. Um, Giants, they didn't fuck it up. They didn't fuck up a top five pick. That's all I can really say. Fair, Uh,
0: fair. That's all they needed
1: to do. Yeah, for real. Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I fucking hate these guys because they took probably my favorite player in the draft, uh, for who I wanted the Steelers to take, Antoine Winfield Jr. Um, He was my top safety. I think he is going to be a superstar, and I'm super upset that they were able to grab him. They also had Tristan Wirfs, who many thought was the number two uh, offensive tackle in the class at 13, filling their uh, two biggest needs right there. Uh, I thought this was a tremendous, tremendous class for them. Plus, they traded a fourth-round pick for Rob Gronkowski, so that's got to count for something. Um, Yeah. I'd say so. And, uh, yeah, that's it for the NFC. No, no, it's not. We forgot the Cowboys. I forgot to talk Oh, about yeah. Them. Tell me tell me about the... Give me your deep dive in front of them boys. This class that the Cowboys put together is quite honestly the best draft class I've ever seen. Really? I am amazed by how many marquee players just fell to them. Like this, if you want to... Th- like talk about the best case scenario for just taking the best possible player available at any one of their picks. It's this right here. CD lamb, who was my number two wide receiver in this class fell to them at 17 wide receiver was a minor need for them. Nothing major. I mean, they have Amari Cooper and my, uh, sorry, uh, Michael Gallup. That's not a huge need, but they take, you know, a top, Wide receiver, they're going to plug him right into the slot, and they now have one of the best offenses in all of football. Also, um, fucks over the Eagles pretty good. Oh uh, yeah, amazingly well. Um, you know, they could have taken him there just to be strategic about that uh, to fuck over the Eagles. And either way, it's making them almost unstoppable offensively in the uh, NFC East. Um, I mean, you look at where. The Redskins and the Giants are right now offensively. Neither of them are going to get anywhere close. The Eagles, man, as much as I love Carson Wentz, Miles Sanders, and now... Uh, man, it's just not great. It's it's not great for any of those other three teams because I think the Cowboys are just going to run away with it. Uh, Trevon Diggs was you know, one of the highest ceiling cornerbacks in that third tier that we talked about. Um, brother to Stefan Diggs, if you want to you know, think about where his athleticism level is. Um, he has just tremendous length and could easily be a top cornerback. Neville Gallimore is uh, a fantastic defensive uh, lineman. Reggie Robinson is a high-ceiling athletic cornerback that really just goes after players. Um, Wisconsin center Tyler Beatis. Uh, I know I said that incorrectly. I don't care. Um, won the college football award for top offensive lineman last year, just saying they got him at one hundred and forty six. Athletically, he's not exactly uh, great athletically, but his technique is fantastic. And with Travis Frederick replacing or with Travis Frederick retiring, he could fill into a depth piece, and it's the Cowboys. It, when they take an offensive lineman, you notice, and they just happen to get one of the top guys that happened to fall into the fourth round because of that athleticism and and injury history. Um, In the fifth round, they got Utah edge rusher Bradley Anai, who has just tremendous production over the last couple years. And then they got probably the best dark horse day three quarterback uh, in Ben DiNucci, who I didn't know anything about him coming into the draft. But now reading into him and watching some of his films since then, because I wanted to know why this guy was drafted by the Cowboys, he has a lot of potential. Um, And I don't think he's ever going to be a starter for them. He might be their third-string quarterback. Regardless, he's a very smart dude. And I'm spending two minutes talking about a seventh-round quarterback pick. That's how much I like this draft class. I just... If I could give 100 on a test to any one of these draft classes, the Cowboys earned it. Um, It's just hands down unbeatable.
0: Who do you think Jerry Jones got to put the draft together for him?
1: I don't know, man. He fucking drafted on a $250 million yacht, and that's not the biggest point of discussion for the Cowboys, and I'm so upset by that. I was talking so much shit about how Jerry Jones was going to be just Go crazy with power at drafting alone and ends up having the best draft class ever. I hate it. Oh, it drives me nuts.
0: Yeah, that's actually quite shocking. I I I had, I knew that they had like a good first couple of rounds because that's all I really had the time to to pay attention to. I didn't realize that they had drafted that fucking well.
1: Yeah, like this is unreal. Absolutely unreal. And I'm just so upset that it ended up this way. But uh yeah. I, honestly, I say that I'm upset because I'm jealous that the Steelers couldn't do this. You know, I understand like, that completely. Yeah. All right. Tell me
0: about the AFC teams that you like. Give me a speed round
1: AFC, there. AFC. All right. Now I got to reset, find all these guys again. Give me 10 seconds 10, 9, 8, 7, 0. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> the Ravens. Um, they're right here at the top. I think they had the best draft class out of the AFC. Um, They filled basically all but one of their holes that they had and just had uh, actual, you know, starting level, backup level players all the way through the seventh round. Um, Patrick Queen fills in, uh, in their first round, probably their biggest need at middle linebacker, uber-athletic guy, um, easy, easy fit. This isn't even a big need, but they drafted J.K. Cop- JK Dobbins in the second round, uh, probably the fourth best running back in the class. Um, and this really isn't, you know, value-wise a fantastic pick, but it's a super dynamic running back out of, you know, the gun formation going to one of the most dynamic offenses in NFL history. And I just genuinely don't know how you can stop them at this point. Um, because they also happen to get Devin DuVernay and De- James Proce at wide receiver in this class as well, who are two – well, Devin DuVernay is a fantastic downhill threat, had one drop over three years at Texas. Uh, James Procy is one of the best, um, you know, best at ball skills. Just when the ball is in the air, his ability to just um, track it, follow it, and make contents, contested can catches is unreal you know he's an smu wide receiver he's not great athletically he doesn't have great size but he just makes your jaw drop when you watch him play he's another one of these guys that i didn't watch that much of if any coming into this and then now going back and watching him a little bit it's like who the fuck is this guy you know he could easily you know fall to the wayside and be nothing in the nfl but he could also be a uh, Anquan Bolden type, you know, come from the ashes out of nowhere and be a starting wide receiver for them. Um, I mean, they got a they got a good defensive tackle here. They got another good linebacker. They got two guards to replace um Marshall Yanda. It's just they even got a, one of my favorite days three players in Geno Stone, who's a, a linebacker safety hybrid that could, you know, fill in for them and you know, nickel and dime to catch my breath and just summarize this it's upsetting that the best team in the Steelers division and arguably the best team in the AFC got better without doing anything crazy and just letting these players fall to them a la the way the Cowboys did it it's just they drafted extremely smart extremely well and just came out unbeatable so they're going. Uh, what were
0: they? Fourteen and two last year. So they're going to be uh fifteen and one, sixteen and no this year. Uh, you
1: have to remember, there's seventeen games this season. So,
0: oh, that's right. So they'll go thirteen and four.
1: Uh, honestly, if they if the Ravens went thirteen and four, I would consider that a win for the rest of the AFC. Uh, uh, yeah, I think you're probably actually be right. Which is disgusting to hear. Yeah, have fun um, with
0: that, big guy.
1: Yeah. Uh the Bengals as well. They're up next. I'll go quick on this. They drafted Joe Burrow. End Come of on. story. Yeah. They drafted T Higgins, who was uh, you know, a top a top five I think he was my number five wide receiver. Um, I really loved him, got him in the first pick in the second rounds. Wide receiver wasn't even a big need for the Bengals, it just so happens, you know, you surround a young quarterback with weapons, and that's an effective way of doing it. Uh, my only complaint is that they really didn't put any capital into the offensive line here. Um, you know, after these top two picks, they got one guard in the sixth round. Other than that, it was all defense, which, it, you know, they had so many holes there that this filled out nicely. Um, they filled in a lot of needs with good players, but at the end of the day, you know, this is a great draft for the Bengals. Um even if the guys that they got were smaller names, uh, after T. Higgins and Joe Burrow, um, I think Bengals fans should be really happy about this. Nice, um, nice,
0: nice. What's next?
1: Uh, the Browns—they got the top tack of the class at number ten. When I thought they would be getting the fourth tack on the board, which is a huge win for them. There's absolutely no reason and no excuses about why Baker Mayfield can't perform and the Browns can't succeed this year. Um, that's it. I'm putting my foot down. This is it. If they can't do it now, I don't think they ever will. Um, they also in the second round got Grant Delpic. Wow. Grant Delpick, who coming into the season was a consensus top five, top ten pick. Had a pretty bad season in 2019. Showed that he is not good at tackling just about anybody. But outside of that, he has tremendous ball skills, tremendous athleticism. Could easily be a phenomenal player for the rounds. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then the Indianapolis Colts. I'm really upset with them because they drafted three of the targets I had in mind for the Steelers. Uh, Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor in the second round both guys I wanted the Steelers to take with the second pick both of them I think will be difference makers uh, and all pro level players on that offense Um, and then they grab Jacob Eason in the fourth round which you know 122 overall I think that's very good value for a guy that could come in and be a starting NFL quarterback uh, once he develops a little bit uh, especially since they have Philip Rivers there um Jacoby Brissett likely to be traded at this point I think he's a very good developmental backup um and then to round out all of this wrap up I think we should talk about the New York Jets who I had a tremendous draft
0: I was waiting for it
1: I knew you were Mekhi Becton in the first round, 11th overall, the highest ceiling tackle prospect in this draft because he is an absolute monster. Denzel Mims in the second round, a Kenny Galladay mold with absolute tremendous size, speed, mediocre catching ability, um, but could be a, a major, major target for Sam Darnold. Ashton Davis, who is a top safety prospect who had rumors of going in the first round. They were able to grab him in the third. And then Jabari Zuniga, uh, a high-ceiling edge rusher uh, that could work out great for them if he pans out. Um, I think he has the same type of ceiling as Ja'Kai Polite uh, that they drafted. Was that last year?
0: Yeah, Uh, second-round pick last year.
1: Which, you know, more of a, a raw athleticism type, you know, need to develop him there not necessarily get him to want to play football and stop being a shithead like polite was but regardless Correct. they were also to grab a top cornerback like Bryce Hall in the fifth who had some injury concerns with uh, an ankle surgery at the end of the season but at the end of the day could easily see him see him being a starter for the Jets Obviously, yeah. the only pick i or the only picks I didn't really like here were LaMichael Perrine and James Morgan. Um, you know, a fourth round running back that doesn't have a huge ceiling is kind of like whatever. Um, and then I really don't know anything about James Morgan, but I know there were other quarterbacks that I definitely did like going after him. So that's whatever.
0: Yeah, I don't really give a shit about either of those two either. I'm thrilled, thrilled that we took Mekhi Beckton. I'm also very happy that there was at least one other offensive lineman taken uh, in this draft. I wish there was a third, but understand why. The Denzel Mims pick is awesome. I was hoping we'd get a, relatively speaking, premier wide receiver talent coming out of this draft, and we did. The Ashton Davis pick is interesting. I'm assuming there's going to be maybe some tweaking to the overall scheme that the defense runs because I was doing a little bit of research into him and apparently he's comfortable playing in the nickel, which would make sense because um unless they're planning on moving on from Jamal Adams, which would be bizarre, especially at this point in the rebuild, um, then that's likely where he's going to be playing since Jamal Adams and Marcus may pretty much have those two spots locked in. I would assume unless he dethrones one of them, which... Hey, it's football shit happens. I I see
1: him as more of a Marcus May type player than a Jamal Adams. Um, But again, he's definitely more of a a nickelback type than a a true safety.
0: Which is perfect because our cornerback situation is tough, which usually leads to our slot corners being trash. So if... um if he can help shore up any any part of the secondary mm-hmm. that can take some of the tension off the cornerbacks and it's a massive welcome, which also brings in a, a cornerback pick and a trade that brought another cornerback to the team. So this draft I'm very happy with. And a possible yeah, upside we- candidate in defensive end and Jabari Zuniga, which defensive end is a position that the Jets haven't had in my lifetime since Jonathan Abraham. Uh, Jonathan Abrams, which so like I Oh my God! I want to see a defensive end be yeah. successful on the Jets. So, Perfect.
1: yeah, we Perfect. we should also mention that uh, they acquired Quincy Wilson from the Colts in exchange for the two hundred and eleventh overall pick. Um, I love Quincy Wilson coming out of Florida. He's twenty three year old twenty three years old former second round pick. Um, I think he will be a starter. But to get to your point, yeah, I think Zuniga has a lot of potential there at edge, um, and. I'm surprised, I am surprised they didn't go with that sooner. I thought the third round would be exactly where they would have gone after uh, an adrusher, at least earlier in the third round. But getting Ashton Davis and Zuniga there, um, those first three rounds are excellent, excellent uh, picks for the Jets.
0: Yeah, seriously, could not be more happy.
1: You know, until I saw how the back end of the Cowboys drafts uh, rounded out, I mean, I was texting Josh during the draft saying I was amazed by how well the Jets were doing at just letting just tremendous value fall right into their laps.
0: Which uh, feels like a thing that we get to happen to us, at least in the first round. I mean, my God, the past like four years, the um, one of like the top players that no one would project to land as far as the Jets are drafting has landed as far as the Jets have been drafting. So it's worked out phenomenally for us though I'd like to no longer have to rely on that, but I'll take it as long as it works. (laughs) So yeah, anything else to say?
1: No, that's pretty much it for this draft recap. Um, I am surprised we were able to get through it as swiftly as we were. I thought that was going to take a very long time. Um, But yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, Do you have a movie pick?
1: Ooh. You go first.
0: All right. I'm trying to think of um, some films that I have watched long in the past and haven't had a chance to rewatch. So I, I was thinking about some classics. I was thinking maybe all about Eve because I haven't watched that in a long time. But I haven't watched an Akira Kurosawa movie in a while. And I'm going to pick one of the first movies of his I ever watched. I'm going to pick Ikiru. That's uh. I-K-I-R-U um phenomenal movie i'm really excited to rewatch it um ikiru by Okura kurosawa
1: um i'm going to go with another movie that i haven't seen because this is the greatest excuse for me to watch movies i haven't been able to watch yet this one's a little more recent um i'm gonna go with inherent vice a paul thomas anderson movie um oh paul paul thomas anderson two weeks in a row for us Yeah, it's just one of those things where I got in the mood there, you know. Honestly, Punch Drunk Love was also one of my uh, uh, options I was thinking about. Um, You know, maybe next week we'll be Boogie Nights. Who knows?
0: I'm very interested to see your opinion on Inherent Vice. Mm -hmm. And I'm also very interested to see my opinion on it because I watched it when it came out. And I have a lot of gaps in my recollection of it. So I'm excited. But I remember how I felt afterwards. So I'm excited to watch it again. What's up?
1: I just uh, I pulled up its IMDb page, and I saw that it's two and a half hours. Yeah. Oh, man. That's a, that's a commitment right there. Oh, you and you
0: are you committed to this. You said it, and I'm not cutting it out.
1: No. I already wrote it in the chat, so we wouldn't forget this time. So we're sticking with it.
0: Yeah, that'll totally work. Um, <laughs> all right, anything next, else?
1: Next week, I'm going to punish us both and pick, like, Dr. Zivago and make us sit in a room for, like, half a day watching it.
0: I'll do you one better. I'll make you watch Satan Tango.
1: I've never seen that movie, and I never will.
0: I want you to look up the runtime for Satan Tango, all one word.
1: Satan Tango, okay.
0: Keep keep in mind, folks, I have watched this
1: movie. (gasps) No. (laughs) You psychopath. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't believe that. Tell What's the runtime, Corwin? It is seven hours and 30 minutes.
0: Oh, really? I watched the nine-hour version. <laughs> oh,
1: you idiot.
0: Um, it's what?
1: painfully long.
0: <laughs> what is it about? Dude, I couldn't even tell you. Like, it's so long, you just kind of phase in and out.
1: I love art and film as an art form, but I hate artists sometimes. I hate people that look at a seven and a half or a nine hour long movie. And it's like, this is my masterpiece. Like, no, okay. that is a nine hours of unwatchable dribble.
0: It could be Saying worse. It, it could I've be, literally
1: never seen this film before. I'm sorry. Um, go
0: ahead. It's, it's very, very well shot. That's my only recollection of it. I remember it being very well shot and the tone being great. I remember none of the mm-hmm. movie. Um, it could be worse though. It could be empire. Andy Warhol's film. You ever seen that? No, nope. I've heard I about ref- it, but I've never seen it. I refuse. Um, there's no reason I think to ever watch as a massive Andy Warhol fan. Um, I have zero, zero interest in watching Andy Warhol's 19, uh, 1964 black silent film, eight hours and five minutes of just the empire state building, not doing anything. Um, it's not happening. So yeah, uh, imagine we did those two movies together, and we made people waste fifteen hours. Aka, no, no one watches think, after I those. Th- yeah, I don't
1: think anyone would ever watch either of those. Yeah, no one should.
0: Um, all right, so Ikiru and Inherent Vice, a nice, a
1: nice mix of films here. How long is Akira?
0: Oh, I don't remember. I'm gonna say under two.
1: Thank God. Yeah, I don't think it, I, I remember it being a long movie. It moves nicely. I'm gonna pick like a movie off of Quibi next time. Something like a solid 10 minutes long. Love it. Um, Dar, anything else? Did you want to talk about those uh, the free agency stuff? You can always push that.
0: Yeah, let's just push it. I gotta I gotta
1: edit this and get to bed.
0: I understand. <laughs> let's get out of
1: here.
0: Alright, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at juicing pod. And if you want to hit us up via email, you can do so at mm-hmm. juicing the numbers at gmail.com. And until Thursday you